Hi, guys. Great to be here. Great to see you. I know that every time I get introduced as the pastor from Ireland, as soon as I get up and open my mouth, and I just have a generic Southern California accent like everybody else, everyone's instantly disappointed. So... Guys, it gets better from here, okay? <laughs> so, yeah, my name is Mike. I'm, I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm going to be teaching from the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible or you just got one from the usher, please open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, it's one of the smaller books towards the back. Um, so as you're turning there, uh, allow me to give uh, just a little bit of an introduction to uh, myself, to my family, to uh, the ministry, uh, that you as a church um, play a role in supporting and that you're a part of. Um, yeah, I'm so, I'm so appreciative. So I, I've spoken at Reliance, I believe this is my third time, um, about once a year. And uh, every time I come, I kind of introduce myself because there's always all these new people out there. And so I have to introduce myself all over again. But yeah, my name is Mike. I'm originally from Fallbrook. Uh, So is my wife. Uh, Here's a picture of us um, with our family in the beautiful green hills of Ireland, about an hour and a half away from our house. Um, So yeah, that's Owen. He's 13. Um, Rosie is four. And Finn is uh, 15 months. Um, So that's us there. Uh, The next picture will be, you know, a lot of times when we think about Ireland, we think about green rolling hills, and we think about castles and and all that kind of stuff. And and yes, yes, those exist, Um, but we're not living in a cottage out in a field. Um, We we live in a a city, in an urban center. We'll talk about that a little bit in a second. Um, The final member of our family is up next. Uh, It's our dog, Hector. Um, He is a, he's he's our son's um, autism assistance dog, and so sometimes he travels with us, sometimes uh, he doesn't. Uh, he's not here with us, but, you know, he sends his regards, I guess. Um, anyway, so, so there's that. Um, so the city we live in is, is called Cork, and uh, the next slide would show on the map that it's... Oops, no, you can go to the next one. Um, so we live in the very south of Ireland. There's four provinces of Ireland, uh, Munster, Connacht, Leinster, and Munster, and we live in the, the bottom, the principal city uh, called uh, Cork. It's about a city of, uh, I think, 400,000, according to the latest census. Um, Ireland, in general, um, would have a population of about 4 million, um, maybe a little bit more. Um, statistically, we're told that there's about 1% or 2% um, evangelical Christians, um, in the city, so it has the lowest evangelical population in the English-speaking world, and so that's um, yeah a little bit of my context. Um, you could see a picture of Cork uh, next. Um, just want to say that bridge. I walk over that bridge about every day, um, and on that bridge there's a small plaque, and it says that this bu- this bridge was built in 1776. Um, and I'm just like, wow, this bridge is as old as my country, and the plaque isn't even very big. <laughs> it's just no big deal. Just everything is old uh, there. So over there behind that bridge is uh, the school, Child FHR. <laughs> I, I don't think that's mine. It might be one of yours. <laughs> anyway, um, so behind that is uh, it's my, my son went to school um, just behind that bridge uh, for seven or eight years. Um, now he goes to kind of a special needs high school. Um, elsewhere in the city. Um, we live uh, just up the hill um, from this picture. Uh, that cathedral is called St. Finbar's Cathedral. Um, he's the patron saint of Cork, and that's why we named our son Finn. 
Also because fin is French for done. So, <laughs> so it's kind of either or. Um, the next slide, it's third service, so I'm just like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Um, second service for you. Anyway, um, so here is um, another old part of the town. Um, that building is like 200 years old, and that's where Calvary Cork met for seven or eight years. Um, we began by renting a small upstairs room, um, and then as the church uh, was added to and grew, uh, we took over the downstairs, and then eventually even the warehouse attached uh, to it for outreach events, and we built kind of a skate ramp there and had a little miniature skate park there um, as an evangelistic opportunity, and that served us well. Um, it was a bit cramped, um, but uh, recently the landlord was kind of uh, doing his best to make us leave and uh, trying to price us out. And eventually uh, we, we left, and then we saw that his plans were to, the next slide will show that his plans were to uh, demolish it. So it got knocked down. They're building something new in its place. Um, so that's too bad. And so now we've kind of pulled the opposite of reliance. Um, you guys met in a high school gym for many years, and now you're in a really cool, nice building. So we, yeah, it's cool for you. We had a really nice, cool building, and now we're meeting in a high school gym. Um, so the next picture would show, um, oh, you can keep on going. That's my daughter being sad. Um, <laughs> so here's the gym, the high school that, that we've been uh, meeting at for the past, I think, 12 or 13 months. Um, and so the next picture will show a picture that maybe you're quite familiar with. Setting, stacking chairs, setting things up. So, um, you know, we, we do what you used to do, taking a gym, turning it into a church sanctuary, turning all the classrooms into Sunday school rooms, and then at the end of the day, everything goes back uh, to as it was before. So it's a lot of work, but it gives opportunities for people to serve and be involved. You know, you know the drill, right? You've, you've heard this before. Um, so it's, it's a lot of work, but it's definitely worth it. Um, again, it, it's been just a, a good year. Um, people have been coming to know the Lord. People have come to, to join the church. We've seen, yeah, just a good chunk of growth uh, in the past while. So it's a lot more work to get the gym ready, um, but then as we kind of just, you know, see it fill up with people worshiping and praising and being transformed more and more into the image of Christ, um, it certainly is uh, worth it, we believe. So I think the next picture will show some baptisms, and um, there you go. There's that. We can kind of click through them kind of fast. I, I'm sure you guys are at First Thessalonians by now, right? If you're not, I mean, like, you got a few more seconds, okay? Um, and then, yeah, next you could just see we have our, um, uh, we have office space um, in the YMCA uh, in the city. That's where we host, like, our men's training, women's events, all those kind of things that you guys do. And, uh, yeah, I'm basically delighted to be here. So you're at First Thessalonians, right? Okay. Let's look at verses 8, 9, and 10 of First Thessalonians, because that's our passage. It says here, In God's word, verse 8, I'm reading from the ESV. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Lord, we have our Bibles open on our laps. Lord, our hearts are open before you. Um, I pray that you would, um, Spirit of God, that you would do what only you can do, 
that you would take this, the words that you've inspired, the words that you've preserved, and that you would apply them afresh to our hearts right now. At uh, 11.40 a.m. on February 17th, 2019, that these words would be empowering, encouraging, and Lord, correcting for some of us. I pray this in the name of Jesus, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so in the city of Thessalonica, the good news of the gospel of Jesus had gone far and wide. I mean, you could see it there because it says in verse 8 that the, the, the report of your changed life, the report of your spiritual vitality, the report of the impact of God's word had gone to Macedonia and to Achaia, that it's gone out, that it sounded forth. Uh, the word that's translated sounded forth, it's, it's the word achaion, uh, and it's, it's where we get the English word echo. And uh, I love that idea of an echo because an echo means that a sound has started in one place and that it has evidently reached somewhere else. He says to this church, the word of God has started from you and has gone far and wide. You've impacted your region for the gospel. And, you know, I believe that's really the case for Reliance Church as well. Um, I know that the word of God is sounding forth from Reliance Church, um, not only to the English speakers of Temecula, but also to the Spanish speakers. And not only to Ireland, of which I'm a representative of, but far and wide. Do you guys want to hear a list of the places where the word of God is sounding forth from here? Of course you do. (laughs) People just came back, I think last night, from Panama, where the word of God was sounding forth from here to Panama. Um, The word of God is... I think right now, sounding forth in the Philippines as people from your church are representing God in Panama. In Italy, all over Ireland, we are one of the missionaries that you support in Ireland amongst others. In Papua New Guinea, in, Pan- in Colombia, in Austria, there's even a child that you support in Uganda. So guys, the word of the Lord has started here and is sounding forth far and wide. And I could say personally, thank you that it's sounding forth in Cork City, largely help, helped by you, both financially and prayerfully and like resources. Pastor Ted is like my pastor and he like really helps me out. I dump all my stuff on him and he gives me really good advice. So thank you, pastor, publicly. Thank you for being my pastor, my friend. Thank you for your investment in the work of God around the world and especially in Cork. Um, but you know what? Verses eight and nine, it's actually not about you. Sorry to bum you out. (laughs) It reminds me of you, but it actually is about a different church, a congregation of newly formed Christians in ancient Thessalonica. And these Christians could be described as three words in these verses, turning, serving, and waiting. And I believe that's true of every Christian. I believe that as you follow Jesus, you will be a turning person, a serving person, and a waiting person as well. We're going to talk about that in the context of them and what it means for us. The Thessalonian Christians were former idolaters who had abandoned what they used to live for in order to follow Jesus. Um, So Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, I haven't even decided how to pronounce it, so I'll say it both ways. Um, So this city, Thessalonica, was in um, in the shadow of the Greek Mount Olympus. 
Maybe you've heard of that, or if you've seen Hercules. Um, it's where allegedly Zeus and all of his offspring and demigods and Hermes and Athena and all these ancient gods where they allegedly lived under there. And Thessalonica was like at the base of Mount Olympus, um, steeped in Greek mythology and paganism. Also, Thessalonica was part of the Roman Empire and was like famous for their devotion to the Caesar. Uh, and so they were part of like this emperor cult, worshiping the Caesar as if he was the God and Savior of the world. And so into that idolatrous, pluralistic religious culture, in about 50 AD, three ambassadors for Christ, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, entered in. You can read about that in Acts chapter 17. You can jot that down and check out the story later on. And they told them that there was a king that was above all kings. There was a power who is above all powers, even Caesar himself, the one that was the creator and the sustainer of everyone and everybody, the Lord Jesus Christ. And explained that he was powerful enough to make them, but yet he was personal enough to be known by each one of them. That he was righteous enough to hold them accountable for each and every sin. That he was holy enough to judge the world one day, but yet loving enough to enter into the story and make a way of rescue. And news of this Savior Jesus had kind of gone viral throughout the city. They weren't there for very long, but they had an incredible impact. And then as news spread throughout their city, some people heard the news and their their hearts were strangely warmed. Uh, They embraced Jesus with the arms of faith, taking him to be their Savior and their Lord and allowed him to reprioritize their lives. Some people, though, they recognized Jesus as a threat. Um, They realized that Jesus was not going to leave their city the same way that he found it. That this Jesus guy, that he changes people from the inside out. And for some of us, we hear that and we're like, oh, that's such good news. It's actually bad news if you are a lover of the status quo. They realized Jesus was going to change things. And so what they did, Acts 17 tells us, they stirred up a crowd and they made threats and they chased out Paul and his traveling companions. But of course, you know that the presence and the influence of Jesus remained far after Paul and his companions left. He lives amongst the people of this newly formed young Christian congregation. And so Paul writes him this letter to check up on him, to say, I miss you guys. I'm sorry I had to leave under such uh, sad and unexpected circumstances. He says, I was going to check in to, to, I hope that you're doing okay, but I hear reports. Everyone's talking about how great you guys are doing. You guys are killing it for the kingdom of God. So I just am writing to just encourage you. And then he says, here's three things that I see that are just evidence of your maturity. You're a turning people. You're a serving people. You're a waiting person. So they, they're turning They heard the message of Jesus, and they turned from their idols. They abandoned what they used to live for in order to follow Jesus. You see, these new believers, they did not just add Jesus to their collection or pantheon of gods. He he was not just one more religious figure that they would add to their growing collection. They completely dismissed the things they used to live for. They rejected them, and they ejected them in favor of Jesus. Now, although the word isn't used, isn't this a great example of the biblical doctrine of repentance? Um, 
We see elsewhere in the Bible, in Acts 19, 19, another group of Christians just completely reject what they used to be about in order to embrace the Lord Jesus. There is this moment of realization that they had that it comes upon a Christian. Maybe some of you, this has already happened. Maybe for some of you, it will take place today. When there's that moment of realization as the Spirit of God works in us to see that we don't just add Jesus to our lives, but that he completely takes over our lives, that he reprioritizes, that he reorganizes, and he establishes dominance over all other rivals. I mean, he is the Lord. We say Jesus is Lord. Lord means master and commander. And so I've seen examples of this in my life and amongst my friends and amongst my co-leaders in the nation of Ireland. And so I want to give a few examples of maybe what repentance looks like, what it means to turn to God from idols. So first, I want to talk about my friend uh, Tyrone Power. Um, He is a man, he lives about an hour and a half east from me in the city of Waterford. Uh, Born and raised uh, in the city of Waterford. Um, In his later teen years in his 20s and I think into his 30s, he really was caught up in a lot of far right-wing politics and nationalism and uh, white supremacy. And, and these days, if you disagree with somebody politically, you just say, they're like a Nazi. Well, he actually was one. Um, he, he was a neo-Nazi skinhead. He had a tattoo of a swastika really big on his arm and just kind of wreaked havoc, was famous in Waterford for the, the havoc that he was, uh, was wreaking. Well, Anyway, um, we were involved in the planting of a church in Waterford called Calvary Waterford. We're kind of uncreative with names. We don't have cool names like Reliance. We just do Calvary and then the city. Anyway, um, sorry, second service, I'm just adding. So so we were involved in the planting of of a church um, uh, called Calvary Waterford, and and Tyrone was somebody that was just interested in the things of God. Um, Tyrone was somebody that was like wonderfully converted uh, to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he came to know Jesus. He met Jesus uh, at a ta- time and a place. And then the next day, as he woke up in his bed, I was just thinking, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? And so he got on his motorcycle. He drove to his tattoo studio. He said to the guy, um, can you cover this swastika with like the biggest thickest, blackest cross that you can. Just cover it up. And so he has this like giant cross on his arm. It's totally out of proportion. It looks weird, but the point, he wants it as big and thick as possible to cover up this sign of hate and prejudice with a symbol of the sacrificial love of his savior. And so that's a wonderful example, I think, of what it means to uh, repent and to turn. Uh, But even more so, as the previous pastor of Calvary Waterford uh, moved on, a great man by the name of Clay Worrell, um, once he moved away back to America, when it came time to turn the church over to the next pastor, um, Pastor Tyrone uh, was ordained as the new leader of that church. He was evidenced with so much spiritual maturity and with care, and he has this pastor's heart for this church that is so international, you wouldn't believe it, and that is full of African immigrants. They have a loving, caring, turning pastor by the name of Pastor Tyrone. Uh, That's an example, I think, of a a changed life. Um, Also, I'd like to introduce you to uh, my friend and my neighbor, uh, Thomas O'Mahony. He lives about four minutes from my house. Um, uh, His kids went to school uh, with, uh, with my son. 
Um, he and his brother um, George, they were some of Cork's uh, notorious uh, kind of troublemakers and alcoholics and drunks. Um, and so uh, they were, again, notorious uh, in the city. He came to know and follow Jesus alongside uh, many of his brothers. I think he has eight brothers and sisters. And, um, and he was telling me recently, he was at my house, he was telling me how he used to, he found a Gideon's Bible a uh, long time ago. And then he realized like how thin the paper was and then thought this could be great for you know, rolling joints with, rolling blunts, making uh, marijuana cigarettes um, with. And, uh, and he says that he, he took the Bible from a hotel room and that he went through like most of Genesis, not to read, but to use the paper uh, for making joints. And so now he is just like wonderfully converted. He is this like unstoppable evangelist. And he and his brother came to me and said, you know, it's really on our heart. We want to reach out and minister to those that are dealing with addiction in our city. And so we started a Monday night addiction recovery group in our church called uh, Understanding God. And, uh, and we, it has just been like packed week after week after week. Um, people are coming to know Jesus. People aren't just getting clean. They're also getting converted. Um, that's great. And so much so that we've like added a secondary kind of discipleship track. And so you come through one, you get saved, you go into plan B. Not, it's not called plan B. It's called growing in Christ. <laughs> track two, or you graduate into the next thing. Sorry. So you go into the next one, Growing in Christ. And so um, Monday nights, it's our, it's our Understanding God group. And then Friday nights is our Growing in Christ group. It's just this wonderful, again, an example of what it means to turn from idols and serve the living and true God. And then finally, and, and briefly, uh, here's my friend uh, Mark Payton. Um, he's a man who uh, served uh, nine years in uh, prison uh, maximum security prison alongside IRA terrorists. Um, uh, he wasn't involved in terrorism stuff, but he was a, a real notorious uh, drug trafficker into Cork City, um, smuggling just uh, an insane amount of ecstasy, particularly, uh, into the city. Um, he was converted uh, in prison. Um, he came back to his um, uh, home city of Cork, and uh, he and I, we used to meet on Tuesday mornings for uh, bagels and Bible. That was our, our thing. We'd eat bagels and talk about the Bible. And, uh, and he was involved. The first thing he wanted to do was to train to be an addiction counselor, realizing that he contributed so much to addiction and crime in the city and that he wanted to, to give back. And in our Tuesday morning conversations, he was saying that he is restricted because he can't share his faith uh, with the people that he is counseling. And so he's decided uh, that he is uh, in London right now. He's enrolled in a Christian biblical counseling training school. And after two years, he wants to come back to start up like biblical Christian counseling uh, in his city. So it's just a wonderful, great story. Um, he and his wife, um, I, I did his wedding. And then he and his wife, they recently had uh, their first daughter. And her name is Grace. And I just think, man, Grace, that's wonderful. That's, that's my friend Mark and his life. That's what it means to turn, okay? Each of these guys, they had these awareness moments. You know, Tyrone didn't wake up that morning and think, well, I, I guess I'm a Christian Nazi now. Um, Thomas and George, they weren't saying, well, we're just, we're just Christian drunks. Um, and Mark didn't say, I'm a, I'm gonna, I'm a sanctified drug smuggler um, any longer, they realized Jesus was not going to just take his place alongside their life, that he was going to take it over. 
that he's not content to be one more statue on the shelf, but that he is going to demolish the shelf. That he doesn't just take his place alongside the other things in our lives. Um, Jesus takes over. And so that's it. They didn't just add Jesus to their lives. They rejected and they ejected what they used to live for. And my friends, let me say this. God expects nothing less from you. These examples, they're all kind of extreme. But you know what? The the neo-Nazi skinhead needs to repent. The drug smuggler needs to repent. And so do church folk, okay? So do Sunday morning church attenders. I, I almost was nervous about telling such extreme examples because it might allow people to think, yeah, well, those Nazis should repent, Guys, you are called to, allow, to place Jesus in that prime spot in your heart and in your mind. I believe idolatry still exists uh, in our world. I don't think it's necessarily or primarily statues or Zeus or whatever, but there's still competing gods and ideologies fighting for territory in our hearts and in our minds. One more thought on, on Cork. As much as I just said that, in the city of Cork, There are a lot of religious statues, even to this day. There's allegedly these holy figures. They're made of plaster. They're made of ceramic. They're on display both in public and in private uh, around the city of Cork. In fact, even when, uh, about 10 years ago, uh, my wife and I, and at that time our son, Owen, we moved into our our present house. Um, The landlord was showing us around, and uh, and we saw in in the backyard there's this kind of large... Um, shrine that he made for this religious statue. He's a devoutly religious man, and he built a shrine for this, um, you know, large-ish blue and white religious statue. And uh, she, like, even, it doesn't work anymore, but there used to be this little, um, like, waterfall that kind of cascaded down from her feet. And uh, we're like, hmm, okay. If you're a tenant like me, you know it's not really your house. You can't really modify things too much. But uh, once we moved in, my wife said, hey, leave it to me. And so she was out gardening, and then she one day accidentally, intentionally um, knocked her over, and she fell into some shrubs. And then over the years that we've lived here, the, the vines and the hedges have all grown over, and there's, there's no sign that she ever was there. Okay, but, but I think you know this, though. Dethroning the idols in our hearts is a whole lot more complicated than just knocking over a statue, right? Because they're intertwined, they're mixed in with our motives, with our fears, with our hopes. And so I look at my job as a pastor, part of that is to identify and to help people to dethrone these idols in their hearts. I want, just as ancient Thessalonians, I want modern Corkonians and modern Temeculites, Temeculans, to turn to God from idols. All right, so as you follow Jesus, you will be a turning person. But not only turning, you'll also be a serving person. I mean, look with me again at verse 9. It says, how you turn to God from idols. Why? To serve the living and the true God. It's significant for us to cease doing the wrong thing, but also it needs to, be com- needs to be paired with doing something new, replacing it with something else. And so they're called, they're said that they're serving the living and the true God. 
And I'm sure you've heard this before, but, but the Greek word there is doulos. It means a, a willing, a voluntary slave, a servant. So formerly, they would admire their idols, but now they could actually serve God. I think serve, it's a relational word. You can only serve somebody that you have a relationship with. And, and I love the contrast. They turn away from that which is dead to serve the living and the true God. They turn away from what is fake, and they serve the real, living, true, genuine God. They're unable to help, and he is ready and willing and eager. He's, he's mighty to save. And so it says that they serve the living and the true God. And if you have time, you can maybe just skim over the whole book of Thessalonians. It takes like four minutes. It's a, it's a short book. But just kind of looking for what did they do? Well, here's a list that I compiled um, of what they did. And it's all fairly unimpressive, ordinary stuff. You know, they just kept the faith. They loved each other. They encouraged each other, and they built each other up. It's, it's noteworthy that much of what God counts as service to him is actually service that we render to others. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't it sound familiar? Doesn't Jesus say stuff like that all the time? I mean, I got two slides up there. Jesus says, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Or perhaps more famously, as much as you did this to the least of my brothers, you've done it to me. So like, like what a king. Like what a unique use of power. The ones that could say, you know what, if you want to serve me, I actually don't need any help. I'm fine. But your neighbor does. I don't need your good works, but your neighbor needs your good works. And if you serve your neighbor, if you serve your brother, your sister, that counts as service to me. And again, I know that one of the Reliance core values is that you are servants, that you are spiritual contributors, not just consumers. Because we know that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for others. So as you follow Jesus... You will be a turning person, you'll be a serving person, and then finally, verse 10, you'll be a waiting person as well. Let me read verse 10. It says that we, or that they, I'll start in verse 9. So you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the Christian faith is lived between the two comings of Christ. You know, every year around December, the church remembers that he came the first time. And we don't have a date on the calendar to remind us that he is coming a second time. But instead, we have the Bible, which on average, every 14 verses, there's a reminder to us of the return of Christ. And we have the book of Revelation, which you guys studied through verse by verse. So you guys know that he's coming back, right? Um, We're not just historians. Um, We're not those that are only looking back to that great thing that God did 2,000 years ago. We're not memorializers. We're not just like a history foundation. Uh, We're not eulogizers remembering the good old days back when God did that one good thing. 
Um, guys, we're a future-oriented people uh, because we have promises that apply now and to come. That Jesus, the same one, verse 10, that went into the grave and came out of the tomb, he's the one who will come down from the clouds for us. Wonderful, great truth. We look forward to a miraculous and an inevitable event, the soon coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we're able now to live with confidence and with hope. Two things that I think are kind of rare in these days, confidence and hope. And these Christians, they had been transformed by his first coming, and they just could not wait to find out what was going to happen at his second. And so it says that they were a waiting people. They were waiting for this. And that word for waiting, it's used sometimes to describe a pregnant woman in her third trimester. Um, that there is this inevitable event that's coming upon her, and she is anticipating the birth of her baby. But it's not a do-nothing kind of waiting. It's not like when you wait at a stoplight or in a Temecula traffic jam, (laughs) um, when there's just nothing you can do but wait. Um, The way that a mother prepares for the arrival of her child involves a lot of of work. There's a room to prepare. Uh, There's a plan to be made. There's people that have to be told about this coming arrival. And so, too, we're called to wait, but wait actively. And then another aspect of a mother awaiting the birth of her child She's never met her child before, but she knows him already. She knows that child. And although she's never seen face-to-face, she loves him. And likewise, too, we, we know Jesus, we love Jesus, and we can't wait to see him face-to-face. And so who are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus. <laughs> um, it says we wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay, so Jesus saves. We say that all the time. Jesus saves. Jesus saves who? Jesus saves sinners. Jesus saves sinners from what? Well, Jesus doesn't necessarily save sinners from hardships, from suffering, from sadness, because the Thessalonian Christians experienced all of that. In fact, there's like a whole chapter here about grief and mourning. So Jesus doesn't save us from grief or mourning or from sadness. He doesn't promise to rescue us from all adversity, but to strengthen us in the midst of it. Um, Do you guys know that deciding to follow Jesus doesn't always make your life better? Is that okay to say at church? Sometimes that kind of makes things a little bit harder, but it's worth it. So Jesus does not save us from hardships or troubles. What Jesus does save us from, verse 10, I'm not making this up, is from the wrath to come. Talked about repentance earlier on. It's kind of an unpopular doctrine in 2019. But it's nothing compared to wrath. Talk about an unpopular doctrine. Wrath is God's determined and settled indignation against sin. And first, let me just say that the believer in Jesus is safe, past and present and future, from the wrath of God. 
Part of his rescue plan is that Jesus absorbed that wrath so that we can be safe. But there is a time. There is a promise and a coming judgment. Guys, God will not sit quietly forever. The time will come when abuse, when degradation, when exploitation, when cruelty, when acts of human violence and deception are all going to come to an end. There, there is a day appointed when the last lie will be told, uh, when the last child uh, will be abused, when the last act of human violence takes place. And on that day, our God will say, that's enough. And the prayer of the church for thousands of years, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he will say, yes, today is the day that I will answer that. And the only way to keep from being wiped out in that flood of justice is to be safe in the one who saves from the wrath to come. And that's the Lord Jesus himself. So there's a lot of details. For more uh, info on that, just listen back to the Revelation series. But let me just close with this line from a hymn. But Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest for my soul. And so the gospel is not the message about how Jesus can make your life easier, but rather it's how Jesus alone can save from the wrath to come. The Bible teaches that our sins have separated us from a holy God. And no matter how many good deeds that we do, we can't bridge that gap by ourselves. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish under his wrath, but have everlasting life. He gives salvation from judgment to all who believe in Christ. And so I'll start, sorry, I'll stop, I'll end where I started with. As we follow Jesus, we will be a turning person, a serving person, and a waiting person. And so some of you, you need to turn right now. You need to turn from unbelief and rejection towards faith, submission, and repentance. You're invited to believe in Jesus today. Some of you, believers, also need to turn, prioritizing Christ as Lord and Master, realizing there's ideologies and there's practices that are taking prominence that ought to be discarded. You're invited to turn today. Some of you need to be reminded that by serving others, God counts that as service to himself. And so he calls you to get involved. Go to kids' ministry training. Go to these events. Learn how to serve God by serving others. And then also, we wait for his coming. There's signs, there's signals in me and in this world that remind me things just aren't how they should be. But one day, thy kingdom will come and thy will will be done on earth as it is in heaven.